If you've ever had an idea for a product that you knew what you wanted it to do, but you had no idea how to make that product work, then this is an episode that you don't want to miss. Welcome to The Road to Seven. I'm your host, Sheila Cummins. I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, an investor, a wife, and mom to three beautiful children. Women entrepreneurs are up-leveling and changing the rules for business strategy, leadership, success, money, and impacting the world every single day. The Road to Seven is the diary of business strategy for women entrepreneurs. We meet you where you're at in your business and champion you along the road to your vision. And I am honored you chose to join us today. Ready to go? Buckle up. It's time to hit the road. Welcome to The Road to Seven with Sheila Cummins. I am your host, Sheila Cummins, and today I'm interviewing Connie Stacy from Growing Greener Innovations. Connie is the founder and president of Growing Greener Innovations. She holds a BA from the University of Alberta and brings 20 years experience from the IT computer programming sectors to her work at GGI. She founded GGI in 2014 with a desire to create a better generator, one that was silent with no fumes, no carbon emissions. Upon developing the patented Grengen solar battery generator, she expanded her patent design into the battery energy storage sector. Connie is on the steering committee of NAIT's Center for Grid Innovation, received the Global Woman of Vision and World Changing Women Awards, and is a frequent speaker at clean technology, energy, and women in tech events. She was named to this year's top 50 changemakers list by the Globe and Mail's report on business, and GGI has recently been awarded a U.S. Defense Innovation of Award, CGLCC Business of the Year Award, and a CNIE's Product Innovation Award. She also secured funding through SheEO as a venture that is working on the world's to-do list by creating the socially and environmentally sustainable models of the future. She also recently won the forum's Pitch for the Purse Award. Connie is not only a force to be reckoned with, she is also an inspiration to thousands. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. I first met my guest when I was sitting at home, sipping my glass of wine, watching the Forum Gala for Women Entrepreneurs. And I was watching a series of panelists pitch their business concept to win the ultimate prize of Pitch for the Person. They, I think they received a couple, many thousands of dollars from the award. And I remember listening to Connie Stacy talking and all I could think of is I need to talk to her and learn more. And it's taken over a year, I think, now to get you onto the podcast, but we did it. And my guest today is Connie Stacy. Connie, thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Hello. And also, I know that you haven't always been making green energy technology. Can you give us a little bit of the backstory of how you came into this green energy technology space, please? Sure. I definitely did more of the wine drinking than the green technology <laughs> making previous to my my entrepreneurial cre- career. I was actually in IT. So I spent probably 20 years, I guess, in total, mostly doing software. So software management, large enterprise systems and development and, and things like that. And 
What really changed for me was when I was off having a maternity leave. I have three kids and my older are a pair of twin boys. And when they were about three months old, very sleep deprived, I passed by a house being built and they had a diesel generator running and it was loud and obnoxious. And I literally thought, if you wake these babies, I am going postal. I sped by and literally they kept uh, stayed asleep. And, and I got to thinking, like, why do we use them? Right. Diesel generators in particular are really wicked on the environment. A lot of people don't realize what a contribution they make to global climate change. And nobody actually likes working with them. They're loud. They smell terrible. They're expensive to operate. So that really got me thinking. And over the course of many walks with those babies and drive naps and all the things that parents of young children will recall, I start to think, well, why couldn't we use some kind of a battery system? It would give us an opportunity to use more clean energy. We'd get rid of the noise, but all sorts of good things. And what really ended up happening is I started to kind of go through this process of interviewing people I knew who used diesel generators. Like, why do you use them? Why wouldn't you want to use them? Would you consider a battery? And interestingly, I got a couple of things out of that that were really, really important. One was they hated the noise. They absolutely hated the noise more than anything else. Like they wanted something clean for sure. But first and foremost, they hated working around the noise. The second was when I asked them about a battery option, they said, well, I love the concept, but I can't refill a battery like a can of gas can. I thought, well, Kitty, that's legit. So I took that away and I thought on it and I researched more. And that really got me thinking about kind of a bigger picture around global energy poverty. And, you know, where we live in North America and other developed countries, we really don't have a good sense of what most of the world lives with. And that research really changed everything for me, I think. And I'll throw a couple really crazy numbers at you because I think it really makes its point. But there's still more than a billion people that have zero access to energy. So that's candlelight only. That's an eighth of the world's population. Wow. When you get to not enough energy to cook in any way other than to burn something, 2.6 billion. Like basically a third of the world's population. Wow. And so most of these people are burning garbage, wood, feces, even in some cases. Like it's unbelievable. And the health uh, repercussions are just, I mean, you can imagine. And then the third number is that what is called domestic energy poverty, which means you might be connected to the grid, but you might only have energy certain hours of the day, or you have really, really regular outages, or re- only low voltage power, etc. right? That's more than half the world's population, more than half the world's population. And for me, I had, I had spent all of my life leading up to this point, spending my volunteer time, my free hours working on things that were related to equity, particularly for for women or LGBT, but really anything that had to do with creating more equitable opportunities for people. And then I thought, my goodness, not only is this a potential business, this could actually change lives. This could actually give an opportunity for people in other parts of the world to achieve better equity. And one of the things that is a really interesting indicator is that when you look at access to energy, it is perfectly correlated with economic growth. So literally, if you want to end poverty, you must end energy poverty. 
they go hand in hand. So that really was a big trigger for me in deciding to actually take the leap into this insane option of deciding to manufacture clean technology batteries in particular. And it was coming back to the wine because, you know, clearly an important theme here. But I was actually having a glass of wine or three with a good friend of mine who's also a parent of twins. And as we were chatting, I I said, you know, maybe if you want to change the world, you have to win the game and make your own goddamn rules. I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And that was kind of my burn the ships moment where I kind of dove in. I love that. I love that. So, I mean, just to, to put things into context here, like number one, those statistics are startling. Number two, you came up with this concept because there was a problem that was in front of you. And so you started thinking about a solution and realized the greater purpose. How did you make that leap from I'm on mat leave and have to go back to a full-time job to I'm going to burn the ship and I'm going to follow my passion, create more equitable access to energy and start this company from absolutely nothing? And nothing is really where we started. The big thing for me, honestly, is I'm very, very blessed with an incredibly supportive spouse. My wife is, quite frankly, she's a better person than me. Well, I don't know about that. Anybody, anybody who knows us well would probably agree, but she was willing to be our, our breadwinner. She was willing to make sure that as a family, we paid our mortgage, we fed the kids and we could get, keep going. And her willingness to do that is what gave me the opportunity to go down this road. Uh, and it's funny because she's in healthcare. So needless to say, COVID has been particularly fun for our household as an occupational therapist, but she, she really doesn't know anything about tech. We really laugh about it. But at one point, I remember chatting with her. This was early on. And she said, you know what? I honestly don't understand the technology, but I believe in you. And that was kind of, that's how it is for us. She she doesn't really make an enormous effort to truly understand batteries. And honestly, she doesn't need to. In fact, one of my kind of philosophies around technology is the consumer doesn't need to know. They don't really care. They care about the outcome. So whether we do cool electronics on the inside is really for the techie geeks. And for most people, what they care about is the outcome. So that's really, for me, I want people to understand what we do and why we do it. How we do it, well, you know, I'm happy to share, but most people really don't care that much about the ins and outs of of battery systems. You know, that's such a business lesson on its own. You know, one of the things that I spend hours talking about with our students at the Run to Seven is people are buying your process. They don't really care how you get the result. They just want the result. And I think, you know, that's it's just such a great parallel. So I know you have a background in technology and software. I get that. How did you create this first battery? You know what? It was a very interesting journey. There were lots of learnings along the way and plenty of mistakes. I wouldn't say regret any of those mistakes, by the way. I think they were important learnings that kind of helped us create a better overall system and make better long-term decisions. But at the beginning, actually, it was a wonderful piece on serendipity. I had decided I was going to do this. I was going to take the leap. I was working full-time. I'd gone back after Matt leave and was working full-time. And I went on a kind of, I don't know, retreats for right work, but three girlfriends of mine, the four of us were really close in high school, decided to get together with their spouses for uh, a weekend to visit. We hadn't seen each other in years. And unfortunately, my wife couldn't come, but everybody else was there. When we we sat down, I sat down across from my friend Rachel's husband, whose name is Brad. I said, Brad, what do you do? He said, well, you know, I have a background in 
technology and I, I mostly help people make new products. A lot of it's electronics or, or battery based. And, oh my God. And I have been looking for an industrial designer and that's exactly what he does more from the polytechnic side, which is exactly what I needed. So he said that and I put down my glass of wine and I looked at him and I said, am I allowed to talk to you about work? And that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. That's amazing. And so you get someone to help you design it. So, but again, like, let's come back to this. Your focus is the outcome. I know what I want this battery to do. I know the equity I want it to create in the world. I don't know how to build it. So let's get somebody in. Well, that's part of it. Part of it was also a lot of learning. So what if my, I kind of have a goal achievement sort of philosophy that really works around three basic principles. One is you really have to have an absolute all-consuming desire for that goal. And so then for that reason, I think you could only have one, maybe two of these type of goals going at a time, but you have to just, it has to eat you up. You want it so bad. The second part is you truly have to believe you can do it. And the third is you take an action. Mm-hmm. So my rule was every single day I took an action towards this goal. And a lot of it in the early days was reading really, really boring articles about things like battery chemistry and energy density and all of these different things. So I learned a lot of it as I went and became a kind of impromptu expert, if you will. And I continued to learn a lot along the way. Brad was particularly helpful in those early days in getting our first kind of little solar generator out. And then as we grew, we brought on more experts in different areas. So different engineers, electronic specialists, et cetera. And everybody bought their own piece. One of the things though I think is particularly helpful, and I actually really encourage this for any company going through a design process or innovation process, but I actually think there's a great deal of advantage when at least a portion of your group is coming from a different industry or is unknown to this. So if I had been, for example, in you know, the utility space or something like that, I probably would approach this problem with like, how do we make distribution lines more efficient? But I didn't. I instead, I took this process where I took, I I came up with a list of the hardest people in the world I could think of to get batteries or energy to more specifically. And my favorite example is I thought, okay, if I am a single mother in rural sub-Saharan Africa, how do I get power? And I went through and I discovered there was only really three things that were common to every single case. One, it had to be plug and play, because if you're that single mom in sub-Saharan Africa, you're not an electrician and neither is your next door neighbor. So if you require technical help, it will not solve your problem. Two, it had to be portable, because that is life today, whether you're walking to work or traveling to work or any other number of things, it had to be portable. And three, it had to be scalable because that's the whole economic growth thing, right? You had to be able to grow and have more access as you needed it. What I discovered was nowhere in there did I talk about distribution lines or networks or grid. It wasn't specific to something like solar panels or wind or a different type of generation. It was about access to energy. And for me, that's why battery was the right solution, because you could store the energy. You could generate it any way you wanted, but you could store it, bring it with you. And that was a key piece for the design. And I think that coming from that perspective of not having been in that industry, like certainly very familiar with technology, but not that particular area, allowed me to come without the same preconceptions. Well, I think that's so interesting. And it comes back to the, you know, be so clear on the out, the output is what I call it or the result. 
And you're not coming from it with the engineering mind. You're coming at it from the user's mind and making it more attainable for more people, which is probably why your business has had so much growth so quickly. Well, and I actually think that, you know, sometimes I see other entrepreneurs who are starting up and have really cool tech, but sometimes they focus so much on the technology, they forget to assess whether someone is really willing to buy that. Because sometimes you might have really cool tech, but the cost is too high to make it worthwhile for the user. And while that's really great tech, it's not a good business decision. You're going to find yourself broke. And that's something where taking the perspective of the user is really important. Are you solving their problem? And is it important enough for them to pay money for that solution? And if that is, if that's not, that's a no, then you don't have a business. Back to the drawing board. Yeah. So you started this from thin air. You brought people in, you designed the first prototype, you started getting more different options. I think now on your website, I think you have four or five now different options on your website. Did you have investors right off the bat? How did you fund this? You know what? I didn't. I guess I I approached the investor piece very interestingly. One, I was very worried as an openly gay woman that bringing in investors who had a say meant that as we grew, they'd say, see ya, and bring in a straight white guy. So that was a that was a fear. And one of the things that I did find was there was quite a bit of bias, whether conscious or unconscious, that I did face. So that kind of reinforced that worry, right? And we did have some straight out sexism that we faced. It was pretty rare, but we do have a lot of unconscious bias and people mean well, but that's the problem with unconscious bias, right? They're not aware that they're maybe behaving in a different way than they would if you were a different person, whether that's your skin color, your background, your age, etc. And what I found is, of course, you know, batteries, unsurprisingly, deep tech manufacturing is very predominantly men. And a lot of people, when I met, they were just like, I don't understand your product. I don't see value for your product. I don't think you have a business case. I don't see innovation. And it was really hard to convince people. So that kind of also you know, again, made me skeptical about investors and the ones that were interested at that point, pardon the expression, but it's kind of rape and pillage. You know, like they were coming in with the attitude of I'm your savior mm-hmm. and so I want everything and you can work for me. And that's not what I was going for. I mean, we're a social enterprise. That goal of bringing greater equity to people around the world is very near and dear to my heart and I mean it. And so the bottom line isn't just money. It can't be for me. It it just can't. If that was the case, I wouldn't do this. So I was really hesitant. And, you know, and I tried different things. I did do the Dragon's Den thing and I did get a deal, but I turned it down. Unfortunately, they couldn't air it, which was too bad because there was a problem with the filming. But it was an interesting experience. It's only actually been in the last little while since the pitch for the purse, the forum that you mentioned, which was amazing, by the way. If you're a female entrepreneur looking to get some exposure and experience. It's a wonderful program. The firm does a great job. But after we won, I got flooded with people asking, could we invest? We're interested in learning more, all of those things. So I decided it was time to look at kind of our bigger long-term picture. And part of it for me is we've been about two years now, gosh, maybe even slightly longer. COVID has really thrown my timeline out the window. (laughs) We've been in the process of moving our actual manufacturing here to Canada. So we were doing it in Asia, which, you know, and this is one of the mistakes that we made early. It's I really wanted to produce it here. But everybody told me, well, you can't do that. People don't manufacture in Canada. You can't do that. There's no manufacturing of batteries in Canada. I, I want to do it here. And 
I got convinced to go overseas and we worked with really reputable partners. I have to say that the, the company we contracted to do the actual manufacturing work with, you know, big groups like Panasonic and Kodiak and things like that. So we were small potatoes to them, but their quality and their performance was excellent. But it left me with some problems that I wasn't comfortable with. One, I do believe that you want to create economic growth where you live and work. So I wanted to employ Canadians. I wanted to people to have jobs here. I also wanted to be in a place where I could, at any given time, go and see production and know that the quality was being met and not leave that to somebody else. That made me feel uncomfortable. If I'm putting my name on it, I want to know that the quality is up to my standard. And without question, there are things that are of concern when it comes to IP, and we have had issues. Despite the the good partnerships with a couple of the groups we work with, we've had a lot of problems related to IP, our logo showing up on things that should not show up on things. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Quite a few. And also, when you actually look at, and this is, okay, so soapbox moment here, but if you actually look at the future of manufacturing, it's changing. It's changing dramatically. So the past 50 plus years, we've said, where can we get low cost of labor? And so we went to markets like Asia and said, okay, you're willing to pay your laborers very low amount of money. We can make it cheap and make a better profit. And so that's where we went. But that's not the case anymore. Our facility that we're setting up here in Edmonton will be fully automated. It will be entirely robotic. So we don't have labor that we're paying for. Our engineers would have paid regardless, right? So we don't have manual hands putting together batteries. We have robotics. Well, now our cost comes down to something like electricity and stability of electricity. And guess what? Canada has one of the most stable, low-cost electrical systems in the world. We complain because we also get outages and, and it's a growing problem. But my current rate in our office is $0.05 cents a kilowatt hour. In UK, that would be $0.22. Cents. Germany is 33 the average national, lowest national average internationally is 10 cents and we get five. Wow. Yeah. So our, our cost for that piece is quite low. And when you add that to the fact that Canada has more free trade agreements than any other G7 country, all of a sudden you get a lot of advantage. So our original unit that we produced in China, if I sell it to a country we have free trade with, like Israel, I'm pretty sure we have free trade with. Right now, because the country of origin is China, it gets hit with something like a 15% tax. If I produce it here in Canada and then sell it to Israel, 0% tax. Right. Now, on a on I, an item where your margins are thousands of percents or even hundreds, you know, 15 points is a big difference in cost. So all of a sudden, we can be very cost competitive with a product that we make right here. And that allows us to avoid those IP concerns, have better control over quality, and really be more involved with our customers, as well as support the local economy. So for me, it's a big win. And I think that more people, if they're looking at the future of manufacturing, would see that there's quite a lot of opportunity in places like this. I, I totally think everybody should move to Edmonton because it's amazing. <laughs> Actually, not everybody because then it'd be too crowded. But, you know, just the good people, the best people. <laughs> oh, I love it. I can't imagine. Yeah, I was, when I was looking and, and researching you, I was just starting to go through some of the media and the awards that you've won, you know, Business of the Year, Innovation Awards at Tech Connect Summit, Global Women of Vision, 
invest, like you have won so many awards beginning in 2018, including being a CEO winner. Are you applying for these? What's, what's fueling this? It's combination. So some were things we applied for, like that first one, the Tech Connect one you mentioned was a, a U.S. Department of Defense thing. And a lot of, thankfully, a lot of the Department of Defense around the world are looking to go green and they are really big emitters. So. They had an opportunity you could submit your technology for review in a contest. And there was no, there's no bias because they don't know if it's a woman or a man. They're just reviewing your technology. And people applied from all over the world. And we won. We won a technology award for grid and power innovation. And what was really interesting was that made a lot of the original doubters go, oh, wait a second. The U.S. Department of Defense only takes the best tech in the world. Why do they think that these guys are are so good? And we didn't actually have a contract from this. This was an award based on the innovation, but we were really early in our development still. So it wasn't commercial yet, but that got a lot more people looking. And then more people started to nominate us for things. And it became a bit of a cycle, right? So, you know, we're very fortunate that at the time it was Edmonton Economic Development Corporation. Crown of the City of Edmonton nominated us for, well, it used to be the Ernest Manning Innovation Awards, but it's now, it's called the Cannies, and I can't remember what the acronym is. But it's a, a, a combination of basically Startup Canada and that original group. And we were fortunate to win the Product Innovation for Canada, that award in 2020, 2021. Oh my God. What year is it? What day? We're still on 2020, really. But it's, uh, you know, I think the clues are out there. You know, Grenjin's got something. One of the things that is really interesting to me is it has also highlighted where we have problems in our bigger system for supporting companies at startup. So one of the things that we have faced, and this is very, this isn't in theory. This is something that we have faced even in the past six months. So all of those awards, we successfully secured a patent, which is actually difficult to do to get a utility patent, which means it's not just the design. If it does what we say ours does, they're violating our patent. So it's the most difficult kind of patent to get. It's already secured in the U.S., but we apply for certain things and we go through the bureaucratic process of applying for funding and stuff because you know what? Building batteries is really expensive. And then we get to one person who says, yeah, I don't think it's that innovative. And there's no ombudsman. There's no other process. They just get to decide and that's it. No, no way to appeal, nothing. So a number of programs, and I mean, one of them, and I'll leave the specifics out because I don't want to call out any single individual without them having an opportunity to reply. But we have one program where we were working with the special forces, Canadian special forces, and they actually prepared documents on this is how we would use it in these situations and put it all together for us. And we submitted, we showed our patent, we showed all the awards we got and they said, no. And we said, okay, but one of the things that you said no was because it's, you said it's available on our website. And we said, well, it's not, that's just our small little solar generator. That's not the stuff we're applying for. And they said, well, that's too bad. So they were uh, wrong. They, they failed us because they said it was available on the website, which it wasn't, but there's nobody we can go to, right? The the person we apply to for or appeal to is the reviewer. So who's going to admit their own mistake? Not many. So there's no real, and this happens at every level. That's why I don't want to call out a particular person, but there's so many programs where a single individual can bring a halt to the advancement of certain startups, right? And it, it really is, it's sad to watch because you see some, like I remember I was so bitter. <laughs> 
there was times where I'd see people that were like, oh, yeah, we got this, we got that, and IRAP gave us this. And, and I was like at year four and hadn't even had a single dime, not one dime of support at any you know, municipal, provincial, federal level. And that was really hard when the world was saying, hey, this is great stuff, we want it, and watching other people get support while we didn't. And, you know, we know, I think we all know that whether we like it or not, bias is inherent in the system. And it's something you have to work at to improve. And I do applaud the people that are out there making those efforts, and they are inside government and outside. I definitely don't want to suggest there aren't people within the government at all levels who are trying to get rid of these problems. But they still exist. And right now, there's not a lot of work around. There's nobody I could go to to say, hey, like they failed us because of this, which is clearly not true. But nobody's willing to say, oh, we screwed up. Let me review it again, or let me see if there's another opportunity. It was just too bad. So that's where I think what you said sort of earlier was you have to want that goal so bad that you can taste it and that you're willing to just keep going anytime you get knocked down. And I think that that grit and resilience, which aligns with the result of what you're doing, you know, in your case, providing equitable access to energy, that has to go so far and beyond the day-to-day functioning and roadblocks that you need. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I will be honest. There have definitely been some really frustrating moments and it's taken a lot of grit, I think is the word you used, and I like that a lot, and determination to keep going because I think, you know, honestly, and I think the number is something like 90% of startups fail by year five. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. You probably know. It's not your... <laughs> yeah, so... I actually think that a, a big part of the reason why they fail by year five is that they finally hit so many roadblocks. They said, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. And the ones who make it pass are the ones who say, I will not quit. I will not quit. And that was, that was me. I mean, there are definitely times where, you know, I'll be honest at one point, thankfully it was just me and, and my longest standing staff member who's a big, big supporter of what we do. I got off a phone call where someone effectively tried to make it sound like they had produced what I had produced and I was hiring them to do technical writing. Anyway, it was, it was painful. And I got off the phone and it had been a really bad day of no's. And I picked up the phone and I launched it across the room and it shattered against the wall. Thankfully it was my cell phone. It was cheap, but those, there are hard moments. And I sat down and I talked to that staff member, Jackie. I call her my work wife often. <laughs> She's incredibly supportive. And I said, okay, how do we get around it? What do we do now? And it was never, there's never been a question that we would keep going. You know, at this point, there's only one direction we're going. There's no turning. There's no going backwards. And so find a way to fix it. One of the core values that we have at the Road to Seven is there is always a way. And that's rooted from the resourcefulness that I've seen women employ time and time and time again. When the challenge comes up, the barriers come up, the non-believers, the I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and work around this. And that's where I think women have an advantage often. And there is always a way. And I love that you're going in the one direction. I have two more questions before I let you go. And I really don't want to because I'd like to just keep talking. <laughs> but question, my first question is, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started? Well, I don't know if it's so much what I knew, but what I developed and I would actually say it's what I would call real confidence. I read once uh, a saying, and I think this sums it up so well, that real confidence is not walking into the room knowing they're going to like me. It's walking into the room knowing 
I'll be okay if they don't. And at the start, I needed the approval. I needed other people to validate me. I wasn't sure of myself. And now I go, you know what? I appreciate your opinion and I'm going to go a different direction. Thank you. And that, that was a really big learning because you know what? I'm good at what I do. It took me a long time to say that. I think women are often told, Oh, no, no, you're a team. It's, it's all about the team and you can't ever accept personal success and you, how you broach it and stuff. But you know what? I'm good at what I do. I'm not good at everything. Let me tell you, but I'm really good at tech and I know what I'm doing. And so I don't have to validate other people's opinion just because they're, you know, a straight white guy who's in a suit. It, it's really about what's right for my business. And I know what's right for my business. Amen to that. Last question. What's next for Grenjen? Oh, there's a lot of things on the go right now. We are working on some Department of Defense projects, which are pretty exciting, really like the amount of emission reduction we can do there is really exciting. And for me, part of that, by the way, is that those opportunities will help fund some of the things that are really not likely to be profitable, let's say, <laughs> in certain, certain regions. So that's a really important one. But I think actually the bigger thing for us right now, and again, I'll have to leave names out for now, but one of the things we've done that's quite different from other people in the industry is right now, if you wanted to have some kind of a battery system in your home, you basically can only get it if you're getting solar at the same time. And that's a very expensive process. So lots of people, of course, have heard of something like the Tesla Powerwall. Well, the Powerwall has actually been pulled from Canada because they can't keep up with the demand in the U.S., much less other regions. So you can only get it in the U.S. and only if you buy it with their solar. Now, there's, of course, a few other people out there with decent products. But here's the thing. You go to a solar installer, they charge you, say, $15,000 for that battery system. Then they charge you another fifteen to twenty-five for a solar system. So you're looking at $30,000 just to get started. Wow. And that really only serves the elite. And we can't solve climate problems. We, we can't solve equity problems if we're only focusing on that tiny little group. So I said, you know what? We have to look at a way... That allows the everyday person, the middle income, the low income people to access this energy system, because you know what? It does have a huge kind of effect. A lot of people don't actually realize this. this is a little aside, but I think it's an important one. The amount of emissions that our electrical system generates varies quite a bit by the time of day. So if you're, for example, I'll use Ontario numbers because most populated province, but at non peak times, the average emissions is 20 grams of carbon dioxide equivalents per kilowatt hour generated. But at peak times, that goes from 20 to 395. Whoa. Yeah. So simply by techniques that battery systems can use by using that non-peak energy, storing it, and then allowing you to avoid the peak time will save you money. It will massively impact your emissions for your household and it gives you backup. So it's a really good thing, actually. A lot of people don't realize how much of a clean effect it has, even without the solar. But you can't get that right now unless you're willing to go to that 30K point. So I said, you know what? If we're going to bring this to the world, then we need to find somebody who's already got monthly billing to individuals. And guess what? Telecoms. So that's something we've done is we have a pending demonstration project of about 200 homes is what's planned to bring out a mid-sized unit that's affordable to the, you know, the bulk of Canadian families where you're looking at something like $60 a month. And, you know, you're going to save on your electrical bill. So you really up so much. And then you're going to also get a discount on your home insurance because you have a backup. And so it becomes very, very affordable fast. 
And we're hoping that that will allow more people to access this type of technology. It's not common. I don't think there's any other battery company out there that's going this route. But I believe that if we are going to bring this to the world, then we have to partner with those companies who already have that connection to the individual user. I don't think there's another industry beyond telecoms that really has that capacity. So for me, that's a that's an area we've been working on a lot, and we're hoping that that will really expand our reach. Love it. Connie, wishing you a nothing but the best. I'm so excited to be watching. I have been probably one of your number one cheerleaders at this point. I just think what you're doing is amazing. I love what you're fighting for. It's Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And I'll have to put you down. We have kind of become a bit of a, I don't think cult is a very good work, but we have a bit of a following of people that, you know, just really believe in what we do. And we, we nicknamed them the Grinchneers. But man. Yeah. So these are the people who are really big ambassadors of what we do. And they talk about it and they don't often have much of a clue of how the tech works, but they love what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah. So I'll catch you in on our great Please, I'd love that. <laughs> and so if uh, our listeners want to connect with you and learn more about you and maybe become a Grengineer, how can they find you? What's the best place to find you? Best way to go is probably through the website. It's being updated right now, but you can definitely always reach out through grengin.com. And by the way, it's just green engine. So grengine.com. I wanted something we could trademark. So definitely that way or, you know, through any of the social media channels. So we have presence on Instagram and LinkedIn and all those things. So whatever, whatever's your preference. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Connie. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Road to Seven. If you found value in what you've heard today, please leave us a five-star rating and a written review. You might just get a shout-out on an upcoming episode, and you never know when I'm going to be mailing some surprise treats to our reviewers. Make sure to subscribe so you automatically get notified when new episodes are released. Are you looking for a way to connect with other entrepreneurs that are facing the same challenges as you? I'd love to connect with you in the Road to 7 Facebook group on Instagram and LinkedIn. Just head to SheilaCummins.com. You will find all the links that you need right there. Together, we'll explore more ways to support your shift into action so that you can grow your business to finally match your vision. I love aligning your vision of success with strategic and intentional actions because that is how we will grow your business to match your vision. I focus on women, all women, because women hold the keys and the power to creating a powerful and positive world through their impact. We'll see you on the next episode.